I'm going to keep going in a conversation we started a couple of weeks ago. The message was entitled, The One. How many of you remember that message? Yeah, thank you. I'm glad there's a few of you who remember that. I'm going to continue in this conversation that we started a couple of weeks ago. And if you remember, we talked about, uh, we talked about how we pursue or God pursues the one, the thing that was lost. And if you recall, those of you who are here, I opened up that message by talking to you about how I respond uh, when things, when I lose things. And sometimes I lose my mind when I lose things. And um, I want you to, I just want to give you an update on how I'm doing with that. Um, some of you know we had to take a really quick trip. Uh, if, if you don't know by my accent, if you haven't figured it out by now, I'm not native South African. Uh, so I'm a guest in this country, and that means that I have to, we have to renew our visa sometimes. And, and um, apparently due to COVID, that's a little bit of a difficult process to do in country recently. And uh, so we had, to, we had to get out of country and back in country to clear up some visa things. So we were gone last week, and so we had to take a really quick trip uh, to, try to try to handle some of that stuff. And so it was a very quick trip, which meant a lot of jet lag, a lot of time flying and then in the car. And um, I, I'm sort of a creature of habit, and when I get out of that habit and those things, then that, that exasperates my losing things problem that I have. So we were driving down the road, we'd stopped at a, um, a petrol station, got some petrol, got back in the car, and um, I kind of have a bony backside, you know what I mean by that? I don't have a lot of padding back there, you may have noticed. And so my wallet really uh, bothers me a lot of times when I'm sitting for a long period of time, so I have a habit of taking that out and like keeping it close to me while I'm driving because I don't want somebody to just smash and grab it, but, but I'll take my wallet out and I'll set it beside me while I'm driving. And um, I had done that while we were going down the road. And of all of the things that I lose and that, like, causes me to lose my mind, and my wallet is the worst because everything between my phone and my wallet, everything's there, right? Anybody but me? Yeah. <laughs> so I had set my, we were, we rented this car. I don't know this car very well. And um, it's my wife's dream car. It was a minivan. And... Um, and it had all these like components and I'd put my wallet there and we're driving down the road and I had like a, a panic attack because I didn't feel my wallet on my bony backside and I didn't know where it was. And because I did, couldn't see it in the components, I'm not used to this car. And I just want you guys to know that I kept my cool. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't go crazy. You, a desert can attest to this. I even pointed it out to her because she wasn't affirming me in this that... <laughs> because it took a little while for me to like remember where it was and to realize that I had found it and and she wasn't you know she wasn't for me so I pointed out to her did you hey I did a pretty good job I didn't lose my mind as I ordinarily would the thing is when you lose something that's precious and important to you you get you get hyper focused right when you lose something that's precious and important to you, everything else stops because you're looking for that thing. You're looking for that thing that is going to, that, that you have lost. So I, I was driving along, I lost my wallet, but then I found it and everything was good and everything was, was right with the world. 
And so we've been looking at a passage of Scripture that you can find in Luke chapter 15. And this passage of Scripture is all about those things that are lost being found. I'm going to read to you again from Luke chapter 15. I'm going to read verses 3 through 7 to you. It says this, Then Jesus told them the parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and go home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. I just briefly want to rehearse to you the things that we, that we learned as we studied this passage a couple of weeks ago. As I mentioned to you, there are three parables that are told in Luke chapter 15, and they really all have the same theme. They're all making the same point. God is in pursuit of the one. And that's good news. That's good news for you, and that's good news for me, because the reality is we need a God who loves us enough to be in pursuit of us. When you read Luke chapter 15, you see this story, and in this, these three stories, it's making the point over and over and over again, regardless of how the other people behave, or regardless of how other people think, God in his great love for us is in pursuit of that which is lost, and God will pay whatever price is necessary to find the lost thing. Just like I get crazy and, and just like I go bananas trying to find whatever I have lost, even more so when God thinks of you and he thinks of me and he thinks of all of those who are away from him, he will pay any price. And that's demonstrated in the work of Jesus. It's demonstrated in the purity of the gospel. And that is that Jesus came for us while we were sinners and he died for us. He loved us so much that he pursued us. See, God is in pursuit of us, and he paid the price for us. We read this a couple of weeks ago. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's such a powerful verse of Scripture, and it's one that needs to settle in the heart of every person in this room. Some of us have been following Jesus for a very long time, and so we can lose touch with the truth that we are the one. We can lose touch with the truth that we are sinners and that it's only a work of grace, that it's only God's great love for us that causes us to become righteous. Some of us, if we're honest, have spent so much time in the church. We have spent so much time around the things of the Lord that if we're not careful, we could become convinced of our own righteousness. We could become convinced of we're made righteous by the works we do, by the things we do, by the places that we serve and the things that we give. We could become convinced that our own righteousness is what makes us right with God. 
All the while, the book of Romans makes it very clear that all of us, every one of us, no matter who we are, where we come from, what we've done, where we've been, all of us are equal in that we are sinners. And all of us have to understand we are the one. None of us ever graduate from that place of being a work of grace, a trophy of grace that our Father loves so much that He pursued us even in our brokenness and our sin. The truth is God loved you before you knew Him and He pursued you because you are of great worth and you are of great value to Him. But as we studied this passage of Scripture, I shared with you something that it, it may be controversial, maybe it's not controversial, but it, it's this. We oftentimes, with, with chapter 15, do we behave as if we behave with a lot of chapters in the Bible. We misunderstand it because we read it from the perspective of the hero. We read it from the perspective of we're the oppressed, we're the one who, we're the one who was wounded, or, or we're the one who's done everything right. When in fact, if you really read chapter 15, chapter 15 isn't about the lost sheep. It's really not about the lost coin. It's really not about the lost son. And that may seem controversial to us because most of us, when we read chapter 15, we focus on the lost sheep, we focus on the lost coin, and we focus on the lost son. But if you read it in context, that's really not what it's about. If you read it in context and you start in the beginning of chapter 15, what you learn is, in fact, there were religious people around who were upset that Jesus was interacting with the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son that he was eating with tax collectors and sinners, that he was associating with the dirty and the rotten, and they were in their own self-righteousness, were so disturbed by what Jesus was doing that they in their self-righteousness were rejecting Jesus. And so the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son was really an illustration to them to reveal their own hearts. See, that's why we have to read the Bible in context. That's why we have to understand what the Bible is actually talking about because we can put an overemphasis on what it's not about. In fact, Jesus was responding to their self-righteousness and where I ended the message a couple of weeks ago is really the central truth of chapter 15 and that is this, as long as we don't realize that we are also the one, there will be no room in our hearts for the next one. See, as I mentioned to you, the beginning of chapter 15 starts by talking about the Pharisees, the religious people and their rejection of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, their rejection of, of the, <clears throat> the sinners and the tax collectors. And it ends with the story of the elder son, the one who rejected his brother and didn't want to be a part of his brother's celebration. His heart his behavior demonstrated the heart of the religious people. And it really is what chapter 15 is all about. You and I must realize that we too are the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And we can't lose touch with the fact that we have been pursued by God, loved by God relentlessly, and because of God's transforming work in our lives, we must be the one for the next one. I believe that God is calling us at North Place Church to not lose touch 
with the fact that we as people are in need of a Savior. And because of the Savior's transforming work in our life, there is a consequence. And that consequence is that you and I must have a heart that is bent toward the lost sheep. A heart that is bent toward the lost coin. A heart that is bent toward the lost son. That we cannot become so callous and cold and self-righteous that we no longer live our life in pursuit of the next one. I want to ask you a question this morning, and I've been wrestling with this. I've honestly been wrestling with it for a couple of weeks because I just, I'm not sure how you're going to take it. But I want to ask you a question. I want you to just in your own mind tell, think to yourself, how long have you been a Christian? Some of us in this room, maybe that's a long time. For some of us in this room, maybe that's just been a week or two. Maybe some of us in this room are not followers of Jesus. But I, I just in your own mind, I want you to answer the question, how long have you been a follower of Jesus? Now in all of those years, or weeks, or months, or days, the next question I have for you is how many people, how many people have you led to Jesus? How many people have you discipled? The Bible tells us very, very clearly that Jesus, before leaving earth, stopped. He looked at his disciples and he gave them a command, right? He gave them a commission. He gave them a call. He said, I want you to go into all the world and I want you to make what? I want you to make disciples. So in, in all of these years or weeks or months or maybe even days of being a follower of Jesus, I, I, will, I want you to honestly answer the question, how many disciples have I made? That's a sobering, sobering question is it not see i believe that we have turned christianity the practice of christianity into just another consumer experience in our life we go to church on sunday and we go to to receive the word right we go to enjoy the music we go to be blessed we go to be encouraged and all of those things are wonderful and, and they're a part of of christian community but the call of god the clear command of jesus christ is that every one of us would be disciple makers and so if the clear command of god is that every one of us would be disciple makers what is it why is it that many of us can count years that we've been followers of jesus we don't even have enough fingers or toes to count them all and yet, we can't even fill one hand with the number of disciples that we've made. Well, pastor, I thought that was your job. You're right, it is my job, and your job, and your job, and your job. Pastor, I, I thought that was the, the staff's job. You're right, it's absolutely their job, and your job, and your job, and your job. It's all of our jobs. Jesus has called every one of us to be disciple makers. And so if he's called us all to be disciple makers, why is it that we're not making disciples? I would submit to you today that I believe that many of us 
Many of us are not making disciples because in the same way that chapter 15 revealed the heart of the people that were listening that day as Jesus was teaching, I think many of us really struggle to understand that God has called us to be the one for the next one. I think there's three things that I want you to see from chapter 15 today that I believe will help us to be the disciple-making community that God has called us to be, to be one-centric in how we live our lives and how we demonstrate our community here at North Place Church. From this, this, these three parables, I want you to see three things. The first parable, of course, is about the sheep. Remember, I just read it to you, and the Bible says very clearly that the shepherd would leave the 99 and would go after the one i want you to think about that for a minute why is there a shepherd with the hundred sheep why is there a shepherd there why does there need to be a shepherd there well it's because Sheep need a shepherd. They need a shepherd to protect them. They need a shepherd to guide them. They need a shepherd to lead them. And let's, let's face it, they need a shepherd because sheep are stupid. Some of you aren't laughing because you're getting the implications of that statement. I mean, if you think about it for a minute, the whole story is centered on the idea that this one particular animal decides to wander off from all the rest. This one animal gets distracted. There's the poor guy right there. And everybody else is over here hanging out, chilling, enjoying themselves, and this guy just goes off. That's pretty stupid, right? Sheep need a shepherd because sheep on their own have a tendency to wander off. They have a tendency to get in trouble. They're vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. But if you read the passage clearly, and you read it not from the perspective of, I'm the one that wandered off, and I'm oppressed, and I'm hurting, and I'm lost. If you read it from the perspective of, what about the 99? It's a little bit offensive. I mean, think about it for a moment. If you read it clearly, the passage says that heaven rejoices over the one that was lost being found even more than it does the 99. Think about that for a minute. See, the thing about chapter 15 is that it strikes at the very heart of what I like to call meanity. Everybody say meanity. I made that word up completely and totally. <laughs> I want to trademark it and hashtag it right now. Meanity. It's what I believe our modern version of Christianity has turned into. Because it's not Christianity anymore. It's meanity. It's the worship of me. It's spirituality that is all about me. It's a church experience that is all about me. They better have the worship I like. They better serve the coffee I like. Who likes Krispy Kreme donuts? We should have, what's the other flavor here? I don't know. Right? It's a brand of Christianity that has been tailored to fit me. And I'm afraid, I'm afraid that we've fallen into this trap of practicing meanity a lot more than we practice Christianity. And the thing about the 99 is, Here's what I want you to see. If the one is ever going to be found, 
Something has to be going on with the 99. It takes the strength from the herd to pursue the one. The only way the shepherd could leave the 99 to go after the one was that he was confident that the 99 were going to be okay. Think about that for a moment. Most of us in this room are not the one in this story. Most of us in this room are the 99. I mean, even if you've hit a bump in the road in your spirituality recently, even if you've been facing some challenges and difficulties, most of us in this room would fall into the category of the 99, not the one. And for most of us, this story is about us. It's about the 99. And notice, something had to be true about the 99 so that the shepherd could go after the one. There's no way the shepherd could leave the 99 if he was concerned that by his leaving, the 99 were going to fall apart. Are you with me? There's no way that he could leave the 99 and go after the sheep and leverage his capacity to reach the one that was lost if he was worrying about the 99 back home. No, there was, there was a capability of strength within the herd of the 99 that he was able to leave so that he could go get the one. Here's what I believe the challenge is to us as the 99 this morning. If we are going to reach the one around our city, there must be strength in the 99. Well, the rest of you just might as well get with us because the ones of us who said amen. There must be strength. The 99 can't fall apart when we're going after the one. But if the 99 are a basket case all the time, we'll never have the capacity to go after the one. Here's what I believe. I believe that we're not making disciples as the body of Christ because within the body of Christ, instead of being the strong 99 that we're supposed to be, we're behaving like the frantic, broken one that's out there wandering around in the wilderness. Well, that'll preach right there. Some of us are still behaving like the one that is lost all the while we're in the middle of the herd. We show up every Sunday and we're like, oh, I'm the one. Everybody love on me. Everyone give me attention. Everyone pray for me. You better save me the front parking spot because I need it. I've had a bad week. We come rolling up every week behaving like we're that guy when in fact we're supposed to be the strong 99 so that the community has the strength to go pursue the one. Listen, it doesn't mean that we don't have problems. It doesn't mean that we have, don't have difficulties. Here's what it means. It means bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It means that we're so strong together that we have the capacity to go after the one. It means that our pastoral team and our leadership team and our love for one another creates the strength that we need so that we can pursue the one that is away from him. The challenge, I believe, to us as North Place Church, if we're going to reach our potential as a church and do what God has called us to do in the city, we must become the kind of 99 that has the strength and the capacity to reach out, mature and strong. 
with people who are mature and strong in their walk with the Lord. Well, you like that point so much, I'm going to just go on and move to the next one. The second thing that I believe that we see in this passage is not only does it take the strength of the herd to reach the one, but it takes disruption of the house to make room for one more. Notice the second parable says that the woman who's lost, she had ten coins, she lost one. It says that she lights a lamp, she sweeps the house clean, she turns the house upside down, she looks in every nook and every cranny, whatever it takes to find the one lost coin. Again, I I turn to my story when I lose something, man, I'm going to turn over everything that I can to find that which I've lost. If I'm in the car, if I don't find it quick, I'm pulling that car. I'm doing whatever it takes to find my wallet that I had to take out of my pocket because my backside hurts. I'm doing whatever it takes to find the one. I'm disrupting what is comfortable and normal for me so that I can find the one. I'm willing to deal with the disruption question I have for us North Place Church is are we willing to deal with the disruption within the house so that we can make room for the next one what does that what does that mean what does that cost see chapter 15 is not about the sheep it's not about the coin it's not about the lost son it's about the way the community responds to that which is lost it's about the way righteous people are self-righteous people view those things that are lost and what kind of price they're willing to pay what kind of price are we willing to play north place church for the lost coin Are we willing to deal with disruption? Are we willing to turn the house upside down? Are we willing to reconfigure the chairs time after time after time? Are we willing to park in the basement or up on the street? Are we willing to work in kids' church? Or are we willing willing to be the ones who who will work in the parking lot and direct cars? Are we willing to do whatever it takes to make room for the next one? Are we here to be served? Hello? Don't, don't turn over my, see some of us, some of us get so particular about our stuff. Don't mess with my stuff. Come on, I'm looking at some of you guys, I know you. Don't mess with my stuff, everything's okay, but my world's right here, and I've got my routine, I've got my stuff, don't touch my, don't touch my stuff, right? What happens What happens if we're going to have to mess with your stuff to reach the next one? What happens if you're going to have to give up your seat that you like way back there in the back? (laughs) And you're going to have to move up here to the front so I can spit on you. (laughs) (laughs) I've noticed how far the seats are back. I'm like, we have a lot more room in this building. What is going on? But it's like there's a splash zone right here. Pastor Joel's with me, though, man. He's right here. He takes one for the team. You notice Pastor Aaron and Dylan aren't here. It's Pastor Joel's taking one for the team. Dylan's all the way in the back, out of the splash zone. 
Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Am I willing to give up my, my where, I, where I'm comfortable, how I'm comfortable it happening so there's room for the next one? See, I don't know what that, I don't know what that means for you, but I, I believe the Holy Spirit is challenging us. As North Place Church, before we become entrenched in, in this building and we become entrenched in routines and entrenched in the way we like things to happen, I believe the Holy Spirit is creating an atmosphere of disruption so there's room for the next one and the next one and the next one. And see, here's the thing. I'm willing to pray that price because I'm the one. Because there was somebody who was willing to deal with the disruption of this kid. Will we deal with the disruption? Will we deal with the loss of our comfort? Will we deal with the loss of our control so that we have opportunity to see the next one reached? The last point that I want to make this morning is this. This is where we left off last week is the response of the elder brother. See, it takes generosity of heart to restore the one. When I read this passage of Scripture, my heart breaks. My heart breaks at the response of the elder brother. And we explored that last week. We, or two weeks ago, we explored his own, we explored his own insecurity. We, re- we explored his own brokenness, but... What we really didn't talk a whole lot about was really his, his lack of generosity in his heart. Remember, I pointed out to you the father as he was talking to the son. He said to him, listen, the, everything that I have is yours. The elder son was so upset because the father had never killed, uh, never had killed a, 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 even a lamb for him. And, the, and yet he was killing the fatted calf for the younger brother. And the father responded to him and he said, everything I have is yours. If you think about that, if you stop and think about it for a moment, the younger brother, remember the story, the younger brother had already taken his inheritance and left and he had squandered it. So all that was left was the older brother's inheritance. The dad, the family, was still living off of the older brother's inheritance that hadn't been paid in advance. So when you read the passage of Scripture, it's easy to get all judgy about how the father was responding to the younger son and how the older brother responded to the younger brother. But the truth is, again, if you'll read it through the eyes of, no, I'm not the hero, no, I'm not the lost sheep, the lost coin, or the lost son. If you'll read it through the eyes of how it was actually written, of who it was actually for, of who it was actually about, what you'll realize is that your heart oftentimes reflects more the heart of the older brother. See, here's the deal. That fatted calf really was the older brother's inheritance. We get all judgy about the older brother and we talk about how terrible he is, but the truth is that that fatted calf was his. It belonged to him. And so when the father killed it on behalf of the younger brother, the truth is the older brother, was it was revealing the lack of generosity that existed in his heart. Wondering how many times in my life I've been okay with the younger brother coming home as long as it didn't cost me my stuff. 
as long as it didn't cost me my inheritance. I mean, after all, the younger brother had gone and squandered everything the father had given him. He had wasted all the father's wealth, and now he comes back, and the father is wasting more on him. And it reveals the lack of generosity in the heart of the elder brother. See, one of our core values here at North Place Church is generosity. We believe in generosity. Everything we do, we want to demonstrate generosity because we believe that generosity demonstrates the heart of God. But the truth is we can become we can become so self-righteous and self-centered in our spirituality that if we are not careful our own lack of generosity can create barriers for those who would come after us, those that we would judge unworthy, those that we would look at and say they wasted it, they wasted their chance, they wasted their opportunity. I'm wondering today, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you about generosity? What is he saying to you about giving? We talk here about giving your time and your talent and your treasure to the Lord. Here's the thing. If we're going to reach the next one, it's going to cost us something. I joke about it, but here's the truth. I need some of you to park in the basement. Because we have guests coming and they don't know where to go. And if we don't have a parking place for them, they're lost when they get here. I joke about it, but we need some of you to serve in different places of ministry around here. Because again, we have the next one coming in the door, and they need a greeter there to welcome them when they come in. Somebody who knows the ropes. Someone who knows where to go, where the bathroom is, and where to take your kids. I need some of you to step up and to serve. I talked about it a couple of weeks ago. We need some of you to begin to serve in the children's ministry and youth ministries and other ministries of this church. I'm not here today to shame you. I'm here to call you forward. I'm here to call you forward to be the one for the next one. Why? Because the next one needs somebody to be generous. The truth is, some of us have not been obeying the Lord and giving our tithe, and now is the time for us to step up and to do that. If we're going to finance the vision that God has given us to reach the city, some of us have got to stop withholding our finances from the Lord, and we've got to be obedient to the Lord in giving our tithe. Amen? Amen? Some of us need to step forward, and we need to become generous with our time. There are people in this church who are baby Christians. They've never had anybody in their life disciple them. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be introducing a brand new tool that we're using here at North Place Church that is a disciple pathway and a disciple-making tool. And I'm telling you right now, I need some of you who have been walking with the Lord for some time to step up and to step into making disciples. If you're being honest with yourself earlier when I ask you how long you've been walking with Jesus and how many disciples you've made, something, something inside of your heart left and the Holy Spirit spoke to you, now's the time to make disciples. I want to speak to some of you right now who are a little further along in years. 
Maybe you've come to a place of retirement in your life. You, you no longer are working a nine to five. And I, I know that in that stage of life, maybe there are situations and circumstances and people that, that say and do things that make you feel like you don't have a contribution to make. But scripture teaches very, very clearly that the Bible has called us as we move forward in age and stages of life to be people who are making disciples after us, raising up others. Some of you ladies, the Bible is very clear that I need you, we need you, our community needs you to be moms and grandmas to some of the younger ladies and girls in this church who don't have one nearby or doesn't have one who's following Jesus. We need you to step forward and make disciples. Some of you men in this place, I'm calling you forward today to be the one for the next one. There are men in this church who never had a godly father figure in their life. They never had a godly father figure to show them what it meant to be a man of God. And I'm calling you, sir, I'm calling you forward to be a disciple maker. Now is the time. I need you to share your faith. I need you to share your life. I need you to teach people how to pray. I need you to spend time teaching people how to read their Bible and how to understand it. Some of you have been walking with the Lord so long and you've got stuff to give and now's the time to give it. Because the truth is, the truth is, this shepherd can't pursue the one if the 99 isn't strong. Hello? We just can't. We'll be always running around hurting the 99 and not making room for the one. I need you. We need you. This community needs you to have a spirit of flexibility. To have a spirit about you that says whatever it looks like on Sunday, no matter how the chairs are configured, no matter where I have to park, no matter what I have to do, whatever we have to do to reflect a spirit of hospitality for anyone who comes in the room, that's what we're going to do because we want to make room for the next one. We need to be a community that says whatever the price is, I'm willing to pay it. This is a pastoral message this morning because I believe the Lord is calling us into a new season, a powerful season as North Place. And it's requiring something of us. It's requiring that spirit of generosity. It's requiring that capacity to be flexible. It's requiring a strength within our community, within the 99, like some of us have never known. I believe God is calling us into that place because of the next one and the next one and the next one. Those that we interceded over and prayed over earlier. I want to ask you to close your eyes for a moment. Holy Spirit, I ask you, begin to speak to us. Holy Spirit, I ask you, do what 
do what I cannot do on my own with my words and my limitations, I realize, I realize there's so much that I cannot do. And I realize, Lord, that perhaps some of the things that I've said today were challenging. Lord, I ask you, I ask you, may my heart, may my heart come through in what was shared today. Lord Desert and I love these people with everything within us. We love this community. Lord, there's just a growing sense within us that you're doing something extraordinary and special. But for that to happen, for this church to mature and to grow, we have to mature and we have to grow as a community. So Holy Spirit, we ask you, challenge us. Challenge us. Challenge us. For those of us who are trying to do it on our own, we're trying to run around on our own and make it happen and we're trying to serve Jesus by ourselves, and we're trying to be an individual Christian. We're trying, Lord, that's not what you've called us to. You've called us to the 99. You've called us to be a community that is strong. So Lord, I pray that you would guide us to lead into community, to lean into fellowship, to lean into relationship, to lean into the strength of the flock. So there's stability in the community. Holy Spirit, stir us. In the areas of our rigidity and those things that are untouchable in our lives. Holy Spirit, challenge me for my selfishness. Stir me to be generous like I've never been before, to sacrificially give, to serve like I never have before. Lord, and for any who may be here today, who maybe they are the one, maybe they are the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. Holy Spirit, I ask you, draw them now by your Spirit with your eyes closed just for a moment. Lord, I thank you for that work that you're doing in us. Lord, I pray for my brother and my sister on the right and left. I'm not in this alone. I'm a part of the flock. I'm a part of the herd. I'm a part of the group. And so I pray for my brother. I pray for the, my sister. This isn't about me, Lord. This is about us. We're in it together. We're in it together. We're in it together. And so, Lord, I pray for strength over my brother. I pray for strength over my 
sister. I bless them in the name of Jesus. Whatever their point of need is today, Lord, I ask you to meet them at that point of need. Lord, I ask you as they go about their week this week that you would be with them, that you would bless them and encourage them. I ask it in Jesus' name. Lord, bring us back together next week in your presence, full of your spirit, prepared to be the people you've called us to be. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord.